I'd like to invite you on a walk. Earlier today, I went to the grocery store where in the sweetener section there were lots of options. There was monk fruit, there was stevia, and honey, and maple syrup, and I'm not sure what else. Twenty years ago, that might have simply been the sugar section, but now we've got the sweetener section, and we've got a lot more options than we used to have. Which got me thinking about how at various points in the past, if you are not living in an agricultural society, or you're going in and out and you're sometimes in places where you don't have access to the large grain crops that agricultural societies require, maybe there was too much flooding, maybe there wasn't enough rain, whatever the situation is. So you live in a way where you consume many different kinds of plants and animals and insects rather than having only a few things to eat from. And now, as we rely more and more on single crops, on single species that we have herded and supported over many centuries, that the variety goes down, even as we destroy a lot of that variety to replace it with a single crop in the same way that in Malaysia they may mow down the rainforest to replace it with palm oil plantation. But even as we find ourselves in this monoculture dominated space, we have weird dietary trends that have popped up again and again, probably starting in the 70s in Western society and steadily increasing throughout the 90s and the 2000s. So maybe you have a promoter of a diet that says to be healthy you need to be vegetarian. You have another promoter of another diet that says to be healthy you need to eat like the people in the Mediterranean do. Perhaps even something crazy like you have to do some sort of intermittent fasting and then close your nose and chug some olive oil to trick your body into thinking that it has all the fat it wants. Maybe you have another promoter that says you gotta cut all the carbs out or sort of trick your body into burning fat. Or maybe you have something like just don't eat 
things that your ancient forebears would not have eaten. As you have all these restrictions, something interesting happens, much like a halal diet or a kosher diet led to differences as local populations strove to make food that did not include shrimp or pork or unscaled fish that they might come up with dishes that are a little unusual compared to populations that do eat those things and that introduces a variation all its own so every time we have a crop of dietary restrictions we actually introduce new variety because the parts of the society, the parts of the group that are making restrictions start to do different things. So now that I can go into the grocery store and go to the flower aisle and see 20, 30 different kinds of flour, cauliflower flour, almond flour, coconut flour, cocoa flour, and probably not in the grocery store yet, but somewhere, cricket flour. And in the past, as a devotee of food, I would have made a lot of these flowers by getting the raw materials and chucking them in a food processor, maybe drying stuff. And now all that work is sort of removed for me because enough people in the population in this society have applied restrictions that cause a demand for more products that suit their preferences. So even if you don't have any of these dietary restrictions, now you might be introduced to seitan or a fungus-based veggie meat. All these alternatives. This variation that is introduced because of restriction. Which leads me to think about constraint-based learning in a sport or any skill. It often pays, it's often re rewarding in the pursuit of that skill to restrict the game to one aspect of the game say if you're playing tennis the serve if you're playing basketball the three-point throw if you're grappling your initial grips where you put your hands on the other person just really honing in on one part of a process and playing within that process playing within those constraints so instead of repeating a movement over and over again, you say, how can I lower the variables not by doing a whole movement in one particular way over and over again, but by shortening the space, by making the space smaller of 
what you want to explore and then still exploring within there. Whereas if you simply do a whole move, say say you play tennis and you're like, I'm just going to play tennis games over and over and over again, you might not experience as much improvement because you might look at how your favorite tennis player plays the game and you see a move, say, like the way that they do their serve and then you try and copy that until you get it perfect. So that's a common method that people have used, but it might not produce improvements as quickly as possible. So you might have a situation where someone who, given their body type and given the rest of their life, might be suited to making that same, taking that same task, making a serve in tennis, and they could probably, their body could probably come up with a way to do that task that is unique to them that accomplishes the goal of sending the ball to the other side in such a way that gets them a point or in in basketball throwing the ball in such a way that it ends in the net and comes, comes through the net and scores a point so that if you introduce a constraint to where that's the only goal they might come up with completely unique solutions that the best in the game might not have come up with this is sort of reflected in machine learning as well where machine learning algorithms come up with solutions to problems when they're given constraints that none of us would have come up with so instead of looking for you say when you when you tell when when you set up a machine learner learning algorithm to design a chair say instead of coming up with the best ways that humans have designed chairs it takes these constraints and comes up with its own solution that looks nothing like what any human has come up with so far though interestingly enough uh, some of those chair designs do remind me of um, primitive rat lashing uh, practices so if you're building a structure with some sort of uh, stick or bamboo and use some sort of twine or rawhide or whatever that you can use as string to tie them together they do seem to approach something a little more similar various forms of weaving as well so maybe introducing constraints by introducing restrictions actually drives more variety which is kind of beautiful because usually we look at restraints and it seems negative somehow you're saying don't do this thing and that often results in people doing less things but perhaps if not everyone takes it to heart if not everyone restricts themselves and only a portion of the population makes that sacrifice to restrict themselves then everyone else benefits anyway from those restrictions because 
we get all this cool stuff. We get this variety that we were missing because we got rid of the variety. And because there is some sort of balance needed in the environment, we come up with new ways to introduce variety back into the world. So in that sense, these dietary restrictions and these constraints on learning produce more variation, which hopefully deals with the fact that we are steadily getting rid of variation in our environment. And maybe we are simply coming up with our own variation. So whether you choose to restrict yourself or not, I hope you appreciate the variation you come across. It's yours, and it's mine. Oh.